0: Welcome to Smart Talk, I'm Scott Lamar. Guess what? It's election day tomorrow. For many people, it's been the long-awaited election day, uh, but most of the uh, focus has been on the top of the ticket, the presidential campaign. Here in Pennsylvania, of course, uh, we have some very important races as well, U.S. Senate and uh, for the row offices here in Pennsylvania, Attorney General, Auditor General, and Treasurer, as well as every member of the State House of Representatives, half of the State Senate. There is a referendum question on the ballot that hasn't been getting quite as much attention. It has to do with mandatory retirement age for judges. The question basically asks, and we'll talk about the exact wording here in just a moment, but it basically asks whether the mandatory retirement age for judges in Pennsylvania should be increased to the age of 75. Right now, it is 70. The wording of this question, and I have to admit that uh, being in Pennsylvania for decades, I don't know if I've ever seen one like this, that uh, there is confusion over the wording of the question. Joining us today to talk about that that referendum is Dr. Burwood Yost, who is the director of the Center for Floyd Public Opinion Research at Franklin and Marshall College. Dr. Yost, welcome to the program. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. If you have a question or comment, one eight hundred seven two nine seven five three two 729 is the number to call, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You know, Burwood, I, I've said this many times throughout this campaign, is that... Uh, the presidential race is sucking all the air is. out of attention for the others. Now, here in Pennsylvania, the U.S. Senate campaign between uh, incumbent Pat Toomey and his challenger, Democratic challenger, Katie McGinney, has gotten some attention, especially here in the last few weeks. It has. I think a lot of that has to do with whether Democrats have an opportunity to take control well, of the U.S. But Senate. even in that
1: race, we still see a sizable number of undecided voters, which suggests to me that, you know, there's, they've spent hundred twenty hundred thirty million dollars on that race most expensive ever and to have that many undecided voters it really I think highlights what you're talking about that the presidential races sucked the air out of everything else
0: so with that in mind if you a referendum question that many people would look at and say oh it's a minor question whether judges should be forced to retire at the age of 70 or the age of 75 has gotten very little attention overall. Would you agree with that?
1: Uh, I think it has. In recent weeks, I think we've seen a little more attention paid to it. Uh, but yes, for the most part, it's sort of a, a second thought. So why is this important? Well, uh, I think... I, look, I had an interest in it. I started looking at this back in March and April uh, when it became apparent that we we had a ballot uh, question that was going to be asked on the primary ballot... And there was a fight between the legislature and uh, the Department of State, uh, basically asking uh, to change the question because the legislature thought it was confusing. And I think they were absolutely right about that. So at that point, we, the state decided to not count the results of the uh, primary uh, ballot results and then to uh, reword the question and offer it in the, uh, in the fall in a new format. And so this certainly caught my attention and I started looking at the original wording and also the revised wording and I thought both of them left something to be desired. So I wanted to, you know, kind of follow up on that given, you know, my expertise is in survey research and survey design and how you write questions and ask good questions that really get to what people know about an issue, um, and I didn't think either of those questions, either form, passed that test. All
0: right, well, let's go over the first two, That uh, the one that appeared on the ballot that was thrown out in the spring, the one that will appear on the ballot tomorrow, and then the one that uh, you came up with that uh, you call uh, plain language that mm-hmm. uh, people should be able to understand. But what was the original question in, in April?
1: Okay, you're going to make me read this, huh? Yeah, I am. Okay, so in April, uh, the original proposed ballot question read as follows, shall the Pennsylvania Constitution be amended to require that justices of the Supreme Court, judges, and justices of the peace, known as magisterial district judges, be retired on the last day of the calendar year in which they attain the age of 75 years, instead of the current requirement that they be retired on the last day of the calendar year in which they attain the age of 70.
0: Okay, what's wrong with that?
1: Well, um, <laughs> I mean, when
0: you read it that way, I was like, okay, well, it, it is hard to follow, but if you're in the voting booth and you're reading that, you would think it would be a little easier, but what is wrong
1: with it? Right. I think, you know, it violates some of the basic rules of questionnaire construction that we would follow. Um, you know, most of those r- rules are pretty commonsensical. Se- uh, we want a question that's easy to understand, uses everyday language uses words with clear and specific meanings, and in as short as possible, uh, it violates most of those rules, I think. Uh, And so that's the problem with it. Um, And what this does is it creates questions that aren't clear. And unclear questions use things, terms we don't understand, they lack specific meaning, and that otherwise cause confusion. And that's going to influence how people respond. Um, so we thought that, I agree, I thought that question was was not good for all of those reasons. Now, the the revised format, which I can read next if you'd like yes, to. Yes, and this
0: is the one that's on the ballot tomorrow.
1: This is the one on the ballot tomorrow. Shall the Pennsylvania Constitution be amended to require that justices of the Supreme Court judges and magisterial district judges be retired on the last day of the calendar year in which they attain the age of 75 years? That's, I think, a shorter question, more direct. But I think the problem with that question is that uh, it assumes knowledge on the part of the respondents, and that is that they already know that the the retirement age is currently 70 years of age. That is not included in this question. And um, we ran an experiment, and that seems to make a big difference. We can talk about that whenever you want.
0: Okay. All right. So, let's go with the question that you came up with.
1: Okay. So the question that we came up which, with, which we call the Common Language Alternative, just read as follows, the Pennsylvania Constitution currently requires that justices of the Supreme Court judges and magisterial district judges retire on the last day of the calendar year they turn 70 years of age. Should the state constitution be amended to allow these judges to serve in office until they are 75 years of age?
0: Okay. Why would it why is it so difficult to come up with it? I mean, I get the sense behind the scenes that there's people wrestling with the language in this in this question. And you came up with one that I well, you know, my personal point of view sounds very easy to understand. Why are they wrestling with this? Why did they wrestle with this?
1: Well, you, you'd probably have to get someone from the legislature on to, uh, to explain why they came up with the format they did. I certainly can't answer that question. The question that I was trying to answer was, does any of this make a difference in how people respond? And so we created an experiment where we randomly offered people one of these three versions of the question and so, really, the only thing that was different between the people who were asked the different questions was the question they received. We, the random process made sure they looked similar to each other in terms of their age, their political party f- affiliation, their, their gender, all of those things. So we had what we would consider statistically equivalent groups. When we do that, the ballot question that is going to be on the ballot tomorrow, 64% of the people in our sample approved that. So two thirds overwhelmingly they approved. They
0: said yes, approving raising the age to seventy five. That's
1: correct. Now when we asked the question, we, the the format that was on the ballot in April, only forty five percent said yes. They supported that. So and in fact that is about what the ballot question got in April. If you look at the results, even though they weren't counted, so it it failed. And then our common language version only 37% supported it, and I think my contention is that the difference that arises in these responses has to do with knowledge of the retirement age. For some people, not knowing what the current retirement age is will make a difference in how they respond. I suspect, although we didn't explore it, I suspect that many people believe that judges serve life tenures. What do most people know about justices? They they know about the Supreme Court. That's a lifetime appointment. Right. So we suspect that that's the reason for the major differences that we see in the response to these different forms of the question.
0: As a pollster, when you see differences like that, what does it say to you?
1: well it certainly it reminds us that wording matters a great deal and if you really want to understand how people feel about an issue you have to create questions that they can interpret and provides them the information they need to answer consistently and accurately you know this is a bigger issue though than uh just writing good questions i mean this is about the heart of democracy and my my mind, ballot initiatives are really the purest form of democracy. You offer people an option, uh, an opportunity to vote yes or no for something very specific. My greatest concern is that uh, if, as the question is currently offered, this passes overwhelmingly, and the day after the election, people start to realize that, oh. I didn't know there was already retirement age, and I've just increased it. That's not what I wanted to do. Um, that's going to s- fuel even more cynicism and distrust to state government, I- and we don't need that at any level.
0: When you say that in your mind that uh, ballot questions, initiatives, referendums, purest form of democracy, uh, here in Pennsylvania, this is unusual. It it's is. not unusual that we have a question on the ballot. But it is a little bit uh, out of the, the norm that we have one having to do with a constitutional mm-hmm. amendment, or, you know, something that is that is uh, constitutionally required. It, people point to states like California all the time and say, "Why can't we have what they have in California? Isn't that the purest form of democracy?" Now, the argument I've always heard against it is that just the kind of thing you're describing here is that questions being confusing, that even though the original version of that question and the second version uh, are fairly lengthy, mm-hmm. that in California, there are some that go on for pages. Sure. So what? Do, even though you say you, you think it's the purest form of democracy, there are some pros and cons.
1: Oh, undoubtedly. Look, there are, I think, 26 states that offer citizens access to the ballot, um, But I I think the reason that I think it's important that the state get it right is is because the state's offering the wording. In these other states, citizens can petition for a certain wording. And I think it's their responsibility to make sure people understand what they're voting for. Uh, And so I put those in a different category. Here, the state is offering a a ballot uh, referendum. They should get that wording correct because... You know that's no one else is offering it. It's their responsibility to do it right, and so they're responsible for it.
0: We're going to take some questions from uh, the audience in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest during this portion of the program is Berwood Yost, director of the Floyd Institute for Public Policy Analysis and Center for Opinion Research at Franklin and Marshall College. We're discussing the wording on a ballot initiative regarding the retirement age of state judges. If you have a question or a comment give us a call 1-800-729-7532 send an email to smarttalk at witf.org you can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page again the phone number is 1-800-729-7532 let's take a call here from Peter in Harrisburg Peter you're on the air
2: thank you with respect to your guest Mr. Yost I don't believe that the question as presently framed is representative of the issue I believe it's done for a political purpose and the change was made for political purpose. I think the Secretary of State's question was clearer than the legislature has done it and I think they did it for a political purpose. I will vote no on this question on the basis that what they've done is purely political to guarantee they get the result they want. I would have voted yes on the secretary's drafted question and I may have voted yes after I had read it on mister Yost's drafted question because the information should be clear concise and complete and it is certainly not complete in this just political in my view uh, wording of this question and I think they are that type of action is one of the things that makes people have less and less faith in our system of government, which is harmful to everyone.
0: Peter, let me ask you this. Uh, Why do you think that it's purely political and that the legislature would uh, want to guarantee the result?
2: I think they deliberately obfuscated the, the difference in what occurs now and what the result will be to make it appear Uh, that this was something they were coming up with, which would be a guaranteed retirement age, sort of to take advantage uh, of the question of term limits. And I believe it was done duplicitously uh, for, for that purpose.
0: Republicans or Democrats?
2: Well, the people who control the legislature are of one particular party. They control both houses of it.
0: Republicans. All right, Peter, thank you very much for your call. Uh, Burwood, let's uh, talk about the, with the issue that uh, Peter brought up. And uh, this is something that uh, you have heard these accusations that this is purely political, that uh, the Republican majority in the legislature, that you know, for one thing, there are now uh, a a, a big majority of Democrats on the state Supreme Court. And this is a way to maybe because and there's going to be another uh, Tom Saylor, the chief justice is going to be a Republican, going to be retiring if the uh, retirement age stays 70. So in today's atmosphere, we always have to look at political motivation. We know that there are people saying that, but Why increase it to 75 in the first place? What has your research shown?
1: Well, I mean, look, I I can't speak to necessarily the politics behind it and what the rationale is. I mean, part of me says, um, you know, it's it's short-sighted if that is the politics of it because you've got one—you're sustaining one um, uh, justice, but there are three— Democratic justices that this will affect as well. I believe that you know it's going to keep extend their tenure on the bench. So, you know, you know the politics of it. I think I I understand. I've heard those accusations. Maybe uh, you know they want to maintain the chief justice. They doing a favor for him, whatever. Um, At that, you know, if that's the reason, I can't speak to that. All I can speak to is the fact that the way that the questions are worded makes a big difference on whether or not people support it. Um, At least currently. Now, if enough people learn about it, as Peter has learned, it may change their vote. Mm. Uh, To be
0: fair here, i want to lay out as much as as we can. I have seen both Democrats and Republicans who support and oppose this. Uh, The argument for this for the most part is that you know, seventy. You know, when the Constitution was was drawn up, the Pennsylvania Constitution, seventy was considered old, mm-hmm. uh, and today seventy five year old. You know, for the most part. Uh, in better shape physically. Uh, you know. There's been a lot of advances, medical technology, people are thinking clearer. All those, those arguments come into it that 75 is no longer considered old mm-hmm. and that uh, we should use that wisdom, that experience, keep it on the bench. I, I have actually seen some Republican legislators who said, well, you know what? We don't like the way some of these rulings have come down recently. I want to get these guys off the bench as soon as possible. Right. So those are kind of the arguments there's a lot more to it of course but, yeah of
1: course but but the point is here at least in this experiment is what do you include in a question so people can make a fully informed decision as i said earlier i think the worst case scenario is that voters go in not aware of the current retirement age they vote uh to change it and then after the fact they realize that they just increased the retirement age instead of imposing a, a cap on it that wasn't there um, and that's going to you know. You and I both know you're going to talk about trust in government and that sort of thing later, right? I mean, we don't need more of that sort of mistrust of government and, and government policy.
0: Mm. Email here from Tom says, my biggest problem with this ballot question is not in the wording, but the fact that it was asked during a primary election, which, by the way, was thrown out, was, it didn't count, that excluded independent and unaffiliated voters. I don't think it's fair to exclude any voters for such questions. He brings up a big point. Uh, you are well aware that there are more people registering as independents in Pennsylvania. They cannot participate in the, in the primary elections.
1: Well, they can participate in pi- primaries. For, for referendums. For referendums, referendums right. they can. Now, right. they may not realize that they could have come out and voted. Um, typically, we have a closed primary system, so that, that affects people's ability ability to vote. But, you know, that... Uh, so, yes, you know when do you ask these questions? That's a strategic, probably political question as well. I mean, all of these things are.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to smile thinking about the, the voter who says, um, you know what, that retirement age for judges, I'm an independent voter, I'm going to go in the primary because I want to vote for that. Right, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound too likely, does <laughs> no, it? No, not exactly a sexy issue, put not it that way. Lisa emails, us, and you know, this is how a lot of people always have a question and a legitimate one uh, and i don't know if you can answer this or not but we'll just bring it up assuming the individual is mentally competent and there aren't issues about performance which retirement age costs taxpayers the most you know there are a lot of people who look at can you put dollars and cents to this? Sure.
1: Sure. That's a great question. I mean, it does does it make a difference in the retirement benefits that they receive? Probably if you delay receiving those benefits. Um, you know, but I, I haven't looked actuarially at what the benefits or the cost of of extending this might be.
0: I thought you were a numbers guy.
1: I am not actuarial. <laughs> Elizabeth is in carlisle Elizabeth,
0: you're on the air.
3: Hi, Scott. Great show. Thank hey, I'm um, in total agreement with the people who don't like the way the question is worded. I would like to point out that several years ago, when the judges voted themselves a raise, the following election, many of them were voted out because the people were unhappy with that decision. And the very next election, a very important word disappeared from the ballot incumbent. For the last, I don't know, I'm going to say three or four elections, that word is not on the ballot. And for the folks who are not always completely informed, it was one more clue to decide if I like the guy that's been doing the job, I'll vote him in, I'll keep him in, or if I don't like what he's done, I'll vote him out. By removing the word incumbent, it made the picture a little more gray. Oh. And that is completely a political decision, and it happened right after these judges were voted out. So, yes, the legislature plays games with us. Elizabeth, thank you, thank you
0: very much for your call. Can't argue with her uh, her facts. She <laughs> I mean, as far as, uh, you know, whether it's politically motivated, that's, uh, that's an opinion. But uh, as far as... It disappearing incumbent disappearing and she was right i don't know if she said many judges i don't know if there were many but uh, there was a supreme court justice who wasn't retained mm-hmm. after that uh, 2005 uh, pay increase of the legislature and uh, i think that justice just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong Absolutely. time uh, but you know she also brings up something about uh, a judge's performance uh, early on bro you said that uh, most people Equate terms for judges with Supreme Court, and that's what uh, we suspect. Yes, federal federal court, and you know which are lifetime appointments. Right. But you know, I I think that uh, something else that uh, in Pennsylvania is a little bit different is that judges and judicial candidates are restricted as to you know what they can say in an election in a campaign, uh, and performance.
1: And we also have retention. And And, and
0: how do you vote? And I've always wondered this. How do you vote on the retention of a judge? You know, you don't know anything about his performance, his or her. Do you uh, base it on decisions that you don't like? That's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that if a judge knows the law and interprets that law correctly.
1: Right. Right. But look, We're talking about another show for you about, you know, how we select our judges. I mean, that is, uh, you know, we think about um, electing judges and all the, you know, the problems associated with it, who they're raising money from, what they can talk about, what voters really know. I mean, there's lots of people who advocate for judicial appointments. But as we've seen in Washington, there are some real limitations to that to that process as well so uh, you know that's a, a completely different uh we could spend a lot of time talking oh, about oh absolutely
0: that. and you're right it is another show but all these things kind of enter into it because they are all, all are semi related you can make the case right. that there are, there are some limitations look, by the way i mean let's look a little history here
1: mm-hmm.
0: why was 70 chosen in the first place and why 75
1: uh, good question. I guess the um, the Constitution of '68 uh, specified the the age, and I suspect for the reasons that that uh, that you had listed er- earlier. Uh, I don't know what the reasons were for the choice of '75 for the new um, the new uh, age. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the reason for that was, but I want to get back to uh, something that you had said earlier and something that our callers alluded to. You know, we shouldn't be surprised that politicians engage in political behavior. Right, (laughs) right. I mean, look, they're going to try to find an advantage any way they can, and in some ways that is their job. Um, But I think for those of us who watch and pay attention to politics, our job is to point out when those things, you know, may violate certain standards that we come to expect or at least call attention to them. If enough people know about this ballot initiative and they want to support it, now, understanding that the age is 70 and they want to vote it to 75, I've got no problem with that. I think they should. Um, the question is, we need, I think we need transparency in our politics. Uh, we need people to be informed. And, and that's sort of what I, um, why I was so interested in this question.
0: So are you advocating for anything?
1: No. No,
0: okay. When I say advocating, I don't mean for or against the uh, the question, but advocating for change and how so we don't have a repeat of this.
1: Right. Well, I actually did in the, in an op ed I wrote back in April. Um, you know, I talked about setting up a process for doing these kinds of ballot initiatives. That there should be a process in place that we, to make sure that we get wording that is scientifically acceptable. Right. That people that people are able to answer the question in an informed way and understand what they're being asked. And so that's what I am advocating. Mm -hmm. I would like to see a change in the... When you have questions like this on the ballot, I'd like to see some process engaged in so that we can be sure that the questions being asked have been tested and that people understand what they're being asked about.
0: I think there are many people who would agree with you when you said about uh, initiatives, referendums being the purest form of democracy, and I've heard so many people say they would like to see more of them here in Pennsylvania, but unless you have what you're talking about— There's going to be politics involved anyway.
1: There always will be. We can't escape that, right? I mean, politics is about the interaction of people trying to get what they want. So, And, you know, even in states, we did uh, some ballot questions in Colorado this this, uh, cycle. And, you know, they have actually a ballot initiative this time to change the standards for getting on the ballot because they have so many... Questions and it it almost was too easy to change things and so you have to find some balance. I'm not saying an absolute you know everybody should be able to ask any question they want. Um, We have to find some balance though for sure uh, because you're gonna you know if you go the other way you're gonna have really other problems arise. When you say
0: we, you, you mean... Uh, the center, the yes. center. Uh, were you involved in the question about uh, legalization of recreational marijuana?
1: No, that was a few years back. We did it this cycle. So we were looking at things like expanding uh, Colorado's health care system um, to create their own Colorado care. Um couple other questions right, well, like j-
0: that. Just, uh, I'm curious. How did you ask that question, if you can remember? Oh, I can't.
1: I'm, we did that back in September. Okay, I can't well, re-
0: see, the reason I asked that is because I'm just curious how you work to try to make that clear, because that right. can be a very
1: complicated issue. I Incredibly complicated. And in fact, we couldn't repeat the question that was going to be on the ballot. We had to summarize it somehow, because it was so there were so many terms and so many components and you know, there was a lot going on there, and I suspect that that initiative is going to fail um, because there's a huge cost associated with it. But, you know, again, that's that gets that other problem that you were talking about earlier, that some of these things are so complicated that it takes a full page to explain them. Um,
0: Has your research, maybe you, you I'm sure you have, uh, your knowledge, your research, your experience, if... A voter doesn't understand the question. Are they more likely to approve it or less likely?
1: Uh, I think they're more likely to abstain. One of the most interesting things that we didn't talk about is that in the two versions of the question, the April question and the current question, uh, when we asked in our survey, 7% for both of those said they didn't know, which to me suggests they didn't quite understand. In our common language version, only 2% say they didn't know. So I think if they don't understand a question, uh, people are more likely not to answer it. That's what we see.
0: Burwood Yost is the director of the uh, Floyd Institute for Public Policy Analysis and Center for Opinion Research at Franklin and Marshall College. The question is on the ballot tomorrow about uh, whether Pennsylvanians think uh, the mandatory retirement age for judges should be increased to 75. It is now 70. Berwood Yost, thank you very much for joining us Always today. It's my
1: pleasure, Scott. Thanks.
0: You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. America's trust in government has served as a wedge issue in this year's presidential campaign, and so has whether to bring Syrian refugees into the United States. Penn State Harrisburg School of Public Affairs measured Pennsylvania's perception of the role of government and the quality of governments in a series of polls conducted from August through October. Here uh, from Penn State Harrisburg to discuss the results are Dr. Patria de Lancer. Fullness, and I got that right. Jonas Jewelness. Jewelness. I'm sorry. I don't have my script here in front of me. I'm doing this from memory. She's the director of the School of Public Affairs, Dr. Michele Tartadini, who is assistant professor of public administration, and Dr. Juliette Toulay, assistant professor of political science at the School of Public Affairs. Welcome to the program.
4: Thank you you very much. Thank you,
3: Scott.
0: If you have a question or a comment, there's a lot here. Give us a call 1 800 729 7532 is the number to call, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right. I have to admit that uh, when I saw the release last week uh, talking about uh, the results of this survey, and that, and I'm going to give it away a little bit, that the the majority of Pennsylvanians uh, had a trust. I don't know whether the trust is the right word. I always ask you the exact wording, but uh, thought that, uh, for the most part, that uh, the federal government and the state government was doing a good job providing good services. I have to say, I was a little bit surprised just because of our political atmosphere today and... I have to say also that maybe what was influencing my my surprise is that how Pennsylvanians and not just Pennsylvanians American Americans overall don't seem to have a whole lot of confidence in Congress and even on the state level in their in their state legislature. So talk about the results. I know this is a broad question a long question, but talk about the results of what you did find in the questions that you asked.
5: Well, Scott, thank you for having us here. I guess the first thing to say is that Americans know how to differentiate between government and Congress. Because, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So you're able to ask them the question, did you think that government is doing a good job that's very different from Congress? So they were able, they say they were able to differentiate. And say that, indeed, they feel, most of them feel that their state and federal governments are doing a good job. And this is not the first time that a survey finds this. In fact, in 2015, the Pew Charitable Trust, they did a survey, and they also found that, for the most part, they found that Americans feel that the government was doing a good job. So... It is not surprising to me. But at the state government, I think that uh, we did find a difference between those who uh, feel that the federal government is doing a good job versus those who feel that the state government is doing a good job. And that was comforting to us. Why? Because we say, yes, they can also differentiate between the two levels of government. And while most of them were supportive in all respect, they, less people were supportive of the state government. And I wonder if that was part of our uh, the little budget issue that we had mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. So, but people in general know how to differentiate. And I don't call it a trust; is actually a proxy. This is a proxy for trust. We didn't ask them. Didn't use the word trust. No, we didn't use that. This is usually used as a proxy performance, as a proxy, because then you get into all kinds of biases. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay.
0: So, uh, Dr. Tanadini, uh, let's. Tantartini. I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, correct. I, 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 I told you I was going to butcher your name. <laughs> That's but, all right. Uh, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> so, the wording of this question, just like we were talking in our previous segment but the, the wording, even though there's a big difference between a poll and uh, an election. Uh, it would seem that the wording does make a, a great difference. How did you uh, set that difference between Congress and legislature and state government and federal government?
4: Well, we asked like uh, our respondents to uh, to respond to this question. Please think about the job the federal government is doing in delivering services. And we gave like example of services that are delivered by the federal government and services that are delivered by the state government. And we asked like our respondents to rate the performance of the federal services and of the uh, state services based on a five-point Likert scale. So, on somewhat good, somewhat bad, very good, very bad, or neither good, neither bad performance. <laughs> so by providing like examples to our respondents, we made clear what we meant for uh, federal services, federal government, and state services, state government. What kind of examples? Um, we gave, for example, um, transportation mm-hmm. services, parks and recreation, um, natural, responding to natural resa- disasters, and uh, keeping people safe. Mm-hmm. So this is like our services that are provided both at national level, but also like at state level. So people were able like to differentiate first, but also like to compare the performance across like different level of government.
0: You know, Dr. Jones, one thing I have to also say is that uh, many times people have to be reminded what government does or what their tax money goes for, because, uh, I mean, it very often you can hear people complaining, ah, the government, the government is, I don't get anything for those taxes that I pay. But then when you remind them about transportation, about security, about all the examples that you gave, said, say, oh, okay, well, that's not that's not that bad. Yeah, I don't like the potholes. I think we could do a better mm-hmm. job with infrastructure transportation. But there seems to be a disconnect sometimes between what the government, and actually what government does. Mm -hmm.
5: That is correct, and I just reminded me of an example. Last week we had a panel, a pre-election panel, and there was a young man who said, no, we cannot, we should not increase taxes. I said, well, you know, if you didn't have taxes, if we didn't collect taxes, you would not have water, clean water to drink, regulated electricity, and so forth. And they said, oh, yes, that's true. So we do have to remind people, but when you just throw out there the word government, They lump everything together, Congress, the president, we hate government. They say, but when you differentiate, when you show them these are specific examples of what government does, services they provide, then they're able to rationalize it better. They're able to think more clear and make that difference. So it, it is very important to show people what do you mean by When you ask about government Mm -hmm. and services. But something
0: you just said, though, when you you said that, I don't know if this was a student or not, but I don't want to pay increased taxes. Uh, I think those people who actually think about it are like, okay, we understand that tax money goes for this, but maybe the priorities are wrong. Maybe we don't need a tax increase here. Maybe we could spend less here and spend more there. Right.
5: Yeah. And well, and this was a student and he was wondering about what he was going to do with all these college loans. So yeah, I, I
0: wonder it, how many of your students think that. Uh,
5: way. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I did say to him, well, first of all, I don't think we can have. Uh, I, I tried to help educate him in how uh, college gets funded, right? Tuition. I said, I don't think that any any president is going to give us free college. That's just wrong to say. What we need to do is tell our state legislators to. Help to better subsidize higher education. And in that way, you don't have to have these crazy taxes. Of course, the federal government can lower the, uh, try to push to regulate uh, the interest rates because it's cheaper to actually buy a house than get an ed- ed education in America. It's really uh, terrible. So the good thing that was happening there, we had a state legislator and he was saying, Well, are you actually loving me? I said, I am loving you because higher education really gets funded at the state level. Mm. And we don't get that much, so yes.
0: Mm. You know, I want to bring up a, a, a few different parts of the poll here. Uh, you know, th- just to give some numbers, 69.2% of Pennsylvania's rated somewhat good or very good the performance of the federal government in delivering public services. Uh, 64.7% had the same perception for the services provided by the Commonwealth. You mentioned that uh, it was lower for state government. But there were groups of people who had less favorable opinions of governments. Uh, Federal government services, for example. People in western Pennsylvania, minorities, uh, non-democratic party affiliates, I assume Republicans, maybe independents, or those with some college. Uh, state government services, those who had less favorable opinions, the 35 to 64 year olds, men, minorities, non Democratic Party affiliates, those with graduate studies. Okay, Dr. Tantardini, why? I don't know if it's your job here to figure out why, but uh, I know that when you see the numbers, you probably talk amongst yourselves and say, okay, what's going on here with Republican men in particular and 35 to 64-year-olds, and I don't know about the Northwestern Pennsylvanians.
4: Okay, so we did like, we also like dig down in, in, in our results, and basically we found out that, for example, for the Northeast versus like Northwest part of, of, of the state, uh, the Northwest part of the state usually is, on average, is uh, poorer than like the Northeast part of the state. So that is could be like a factor that determines why uh, citizens are not uh, that happy towards the performance of uh, the government there is usually like uh, a higher percentage of Republican, Independents and Libertarians. And these groups are also um more dissatisfied, disenchanted with um with the performance of the federal government. So that could be like another factors why we have like uh these um differences. Uh in terms of minorities Yeah uh, because
0: we're not talking most no, minority voters are registered Democrats as opposed to registered Republicans.
4: Most of my yes, my uh, exactly uh forty nine percent fifty three percent of minorities are registered as Democrat in our sample and 20% are like Independence, or they consider themselves independents. and most of the minorities lives in our sample lives in the southeast of uh, in Pennsylvania, so like Philadelphia uh, area, and again, this uh, chunk of population is uh, less educated and uh, have a less house of um, household income, so that could be like another factor of why they are like less dissatisfied, less confident toward. Um, the government, and another uh, group that we took a look at uh, was um, the people with like some college degrees. Uh, for example, the student that he was Dr. Jonas was talking about are usually people who, uh, again, they have like less uh, income. And they tend to um, register more with, like, Republican uh, and Independent and Libertarian. And those, again, are people that, according to our uh, survey, are not satisfied with uh, the government, right, both no. as federal and state. Go
0: right,
5: I just wanted to, as an example of this, I was looking. We also had a question on opinions on healthcare reform, and we find mixed results there. And guess what? Uh, those with the lowest income levels had the least favorable view of health care reform. These are the people who need health care reform, who need low cost health care. They had the, in Pennsylvania, they had the least favorable view. So when you look at income and you look at opinions, you're going to find that those with the lowest income, less educated, are less likely to be in favor of the things that actually would help them. <laughs>
0: You know, very often we assume things. You know that seems to be counterintuitive to what most people would think. And again, I ask the question: Do you know why?
5: We are still digging, but actually, what we find—and this is just a refrain that people say—that most often, than know, people vote against their own interest. Really? Yes, that's what the that's what the literature says many times. Correct.
0: Why? I keep asking why. So it sounds like the little
3: kids' why. No, but that's why? a
5: great question, and we are still digging. But again, I think that we we do have a misinformation, and uh, there's a lot of misinformation about healthcare reform, for example. There's a lot of misinformation about how we could fund education, how we could fund college. I, I can only right now uh, really uh, point it to uh, a lack of information.
4: You know, and again, this go ahead. We were saying, but there. I mean, like coming from like I, I'm European, so I I kind of understand like the results because like this is something that in Europe happens uh, very often. But like lower what, what class, happens? what happens? But like lower uh, class people, they tend to vote like right wing parties instead of like voting like more left-wing party that will provide them with uh, uh, health care, free education and so on and so forth. So it's kind of like a protest uh, vote. It's kind of like a hangry uh, vote Towards um, incumbents.
0: And when you say lower class, you're talking income. Yes, In- exactly. Yeah, yeah. I exactly. to point that out. I'm sure you didn't mean that otherwise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to make sure you didn't get angry emails. <laughs>
5: <laughs> it's like against the elite. You know, it's almost like they perceive, oh, that's the elite, they don't know. But these people who are telling me that uh, they are going to do this for me, even though they are not financial basis to do it. They don't really have the basis to do what they're saying they're going to do, uh, so they vote for them.
0: You, you know, I have to... You know, uh, uh, let me go back to... And I'm going to bring Dr. Calay in, in this in just a moment because she's been sitting... Patiently listening to our conversation and Syrian refugees is a big issue that you did ask about. And I'm going to talk about that in uh, in, in just a moment. But one qu- uh, question, Dr. Tannardini, is I, I mean, when you talk about Europe and the United States, I'm curious as to you talk about this anger, this anger that we see here in the United States. Does that anger exist? Does that protest? Does that Divide that we see here in the United States exists in Europe as well?
4: I think it it's coming to Europe again, especially like the income divide and the inequalities uh, among income level that is coming to Europe. And we see a reflection of a deepening of inequality among like Europeans and this angry vote towards like um, anti-systemic party Uh, or like outsider uh, that entire establishment so that people think that since they do not belong to the elite they might be able to solve the problem because like the elite did not, in their perception, did not solve their problems.
0: Is Brexit in uh, the United Kingdom, is that uh, related to this at all? I mean, that kind
4: of attitude? Uh, that could be. That could be. That mm-hmm. definitely could be, especially like talking about like England. That could definitely be the case.
0: I want to bring uh, Dr. Julia tolay Assistant Professor of Political Science at the School of Public Affairs at Penn State Harrisburg, into uh, the conversation. And Dr. tolay uh, welcome back to the program. You've before, you have appeared before, so <laughs> can I get you a little closer to the microphone yeah Um, you you in particular uh, polled Pennsylvanians on their attitudes toward Syrian refugees Um, the majority 54% of Pennsylvanians, support accepting more Syrian refugees but it is a polarizing issue Um, again and it's just me but I I, I guess I'm assuming a lot of things from listening to the electorate that majority surprised me a little bit
6: yeah I mean it it In in a sense, it was a little bit surprising because if you look at most of the national polls that we've had over the last year, uh, the results were actually kind of reversed. We had a slight majority who was actually opposing uh, Syrian refugees. So so there there seemed to be something uh, different about Pennsylvania, although I think what is important to, to keep in mind is that most of the poll that was done at the national level were done in November last year, right uh-huh. after the attacks in Paris. And uh-huh. I think I think we see here that there is a, a strong effect of, you know, people reacting to an event that was a clear threat to national security and people just, you know, feeling that, you know, what, what if this happened at our place? And there is this, immediately this connection with Syrian refugees because there was... Um, None of the attackers in Paris were Syrian refugees, but they used some of the asylum routes uh, to kind of go back to Europe. Uh, so I think th- there there is a reaction effect there in the poll that, that we've had. Now, for our poll, it was almost a year later or 10 months later, we see that the the numbers in Pennsylvania are are much stronger. Uh, This might also be because, uh, you know, in Pennsylvania, we we have relatively good numbers in terms of number of refugees in general who have been resettled. Uh, And actually, one of the things that we see is the counties where uh, most of the refugees have been resettled tend to be more supportive of taking more refugees than countries who do not typically uh, take refugees in. So if we talk about, this is really clear in the case of uh, Allegheny and um, Philadelphia, Montgomery, Uh, but you also see that, although it's not necessarily statistically significant, but you see that for Lancaster, Harrisburg, uh, Lehigh and Erie as well. So uh, this is is kind of a sign that if you, and this is not contradictory to, I mean, this is in line with what you see in other surveys, People who have connection with with refugees tend to be actually more welcoming than people who just hear about them on the news.
0: But there is a divide. Your poll showed that there is a pretty big uh, division here between Republicans and Democrats. What is that division?
6: Well, actually, it's very interesting because if you look at the numbers, there is a strong divide. And indeed, people tend to be either strongly opposed or strongly supportive. Not so many are, you know, somewhat supportive or somewhat uh, somewhat opposing. At the same time, there was an open-ended question as to, you know, why is that that you oppose or why is it that you support? And many of the answers in this open-ended question were actually, I thought, kind of reassuring that there might be more of a middle ground because people were usually... Giving kind of an you know I sup I, I oppose but I recognize that we need you know this is part of our values or I support but I recognize that there are some issues with with screening and we need to make sure that security is is taken into consideration so I, I think that there is a middle ground that could could be built up a little bit more uh, but I'm I'm not sure this is what most people hear when they hear about kind of the national discourse by politicians where. You know, because of the nature of elections, people tend to take opposite opposite views and emphasize only kind of the, the, the ideas of support.
0: You just used a word that I think was uh, mentioned several times in the poll. The word was values. Those who supported, uh, for the most part, taking Syrian refugees used that word. Uh, and used some of the things... We've heard the arguments on the national level about that we are a nation of immigrants. Those who opposed brought up the terrorism issue. Is that what you found?
6: So, actually, yes, but there was a common level of, of overlap. So, again, even people who support, they recognize that there are concerns over security, and even people who who, who oppose it recognize that, you know, this is in opposition to our values, so I, I think there is room for uh, for... for for finding a solution somewhere in, somewhere in the middle, a little bit more.
0: So we only have about 30 seconds left. The time goes too quickly. Uh, Dr. Jonas, let me start with you, or just have you have the last word, if you would, in 30 seconds left. These numbers, what do they say to us? How do they help us?
5: Well, it helps in a couple of ways. One is that it tells policymakers of areas where they need to look deeper into because there are some While people are supportive of government, some of them are dissatisfied. But it also tells us, according to the literature, that incumbents are more likely to have a good outcome. Uh, In this case, if we talk about incumbents in terms of the national level, then that would be uh, the Democratic Party.
0: Well, uh, we have links to it on our website, WITF.org. I want to thank all three of you for being with us today.
5: Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. You
0: Tomorrow is the election day when you get to make decisions on uh, your candidates and, as you heard earlier, a referendum uh, ballot question here in Pennsylvania. I also want to remind you that uh, coming up the day after the election, we're going to have a special Smart Talk where we invite you, uh, the listeners, to come into our stu- – well, not into the studio. We're actually going to do it in our atrium here at W. Uh, WITF Public Media Center. See Smart Talk live and participate. So if you'd like to do that, go to WITF.org and to RSVP to be here on Wednesday.